Why do so many individuals and organizations support disruption of public schools? Some want lower taxes and less government spending. Some want to blow up the current system and replace it with privately run schools. Some hate government-run schools because they prefer free enterprise to anything run by the government. Some believe that disruption is what modern corporations do as often as possible. Some believe that the free market efficiently solves all problems, and they want to introduce a free market of schooling. Welcome to W5H. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. A podcast where we explore ideas through books and discussion. I'm one of your co-hosts, Luki Danukaryanto. And I'm your other co-host, David Shu. Let's crack those books open and get started. All right, Luki, we're back on our quest to understand what is wrong with education. Luki, it's great to talk to you again. Always a pleasure, Dave. All right. So this, this, we, we may be sounding a little bit dour or, <laughs> or somber, but it is because the book we read for this month was an intense experience. Let's just say it that way. Yep. That's a little bit of an understatement, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't want people turning off their, uh, their podcast apps right away, but yes, this was not an easy read. We read Slaying Goliath by Diane Ravitch this month and, uh, I mean, we'll talk about it. it. It is a book that definitely painted some of the broad strokes of what's happened in American education in the 21st century, you know, under George W. Bush and Barack Obama and now Trump. And it's a pretty sordid picture. And it, it's, a, it's a thought-provoking book, but it is not easy to read. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of information in there. It's kind of like a, a naming names, uh, <laughs> the, the who's who of... <laughs> privatization and uh, who was uh, uh, part of the resistance, which are two terms that are kind of uh, well uh, outlined in, in the book. Uh, and it does have a couple of interesting nuggets uh, that would help folks in terms of, uh, I don't know, building a plan to, uh, I guess, sustain the current mm-hmm. system or, or improve their, uh, the system. But there's a lot, there's a lot in here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So why don't you give us a short synopsis of this book? Yeah, so the author, uh, Diane Ravitch, uh, she's a professor of history and education at NYU, and uh, she's an activist who really wants to support public education, right? Uh, There's been this movement in the U.S. system to privatize it because they feel that the public system is not doing justice to everything, and because uh, a lot of these... uh, wealthy philanthropists and billionaires out there uh, have disrupted all sorts of different industries, well, why not do the same thing with education? So they've uh, invested a bunch of money in these these charter schools, which uh, actually, interesting enough, had, had a very interesting or, or, or um, promising start where uh, they were looking to create these almost little uh, laboratory type schools where teachers could kind of pilot these different programs and learn how to uh, kind of teach better in a different system. But uh, as some folks would do, and through various uh, kind of series of unfortunate events, they kind of turned it into more of a, a corporatized, uh, privatized, and, and a money-making uh, uh, scheme for a bunch of folks to basically, I don't know, take 
billions <laughs> out of the system and uh, with without a lot of oversight or autonomy. And then uh, the public system obviously suffers as a result um, of that. And the, the challenging part is that privatization uh, doesn't actually pass muster in terms of actually improving the system, right? And there are a whole bunch of different policies out there, um, like the, the No Child Left Behind and uh, the Race to the Top programs in the U.S., that uh, cause a little bit more um, challenge to the public system as well, uh, and and there uh, it's very much anti-standardized testing, or at least the way that it's done in the U.S., where it's basically on an annual basis, and really goes into kind of the, the politics of how uh, a handful of billionaires can really uh, uh, go through the system and, and put a whole bunch of um, challenges into it that that will cause <laughs> uh, I guess no, nobody to really really do well. If you could follow what I said, then, well, maybe you could get through the book. <laughs> but there's a little so, bit of, of that. <laughs> so, so did you know much about charter schools before you read this book? I, I didn't. So I, I knew a little bit about it. So I knew uh, there, there was a, a show called um, or a movie called Waiting for Superman, which mm -hmm. I, I, I did watch. And, and it was referenced roughly in, in the, in the uh, book. And they had talked about charter schools as kind of the the saving grace of the American public system, right? Because uh, there's this now new way for, for kids to get an education and they were uh, kind of uh, praising all of its merits and all that sort of stuff. It's like, okay, yeah, it, it, it makes sense because there's a handful of schools that are doing really well. But what it, it doesn't necessarily talk about, at least in, in the movie and what this book outlines is that these charter schools kind of cherry pick uh, folks, right? And they let in who they want to let in. And of course, if you do that, then everybody does better because they only let the ones that, that do well in, in the, into the school and that charter school does well. Um, but then the other ones who don't have kind of that uh, luxury, uh, they do no better and, and oftentimes worse than the regular public system. So I didn't really know much of it other than that it was, it was something that was uh, interesting to look at. Um, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, because we don't really have that concept in Canada, as far as I, I know. I don't know, Dave, if you if you're aware of any any other things. So similar? apparently we apparently we do have it in Canada, in Alberta okay. specifically. Okay. So the province of Alberta, you know, so at some point in the last ten, fifteen years, I think the last ten years or so, started to allow s a set number of charter schools, and I think they've mm. opened up a little bit more to allow more. So leave it to the Albertans to uh, always be following <laughs> the Americans' footsteps, for better or for worse. But did you explain exactly what a charter school is? No, I don't think so. I did. Okay. So, so just to fill in that gap. So basically, a charter school is a, is a school or a collection of schools that is funded through tax dollars, but is not, does not have oversight by the government itself, right? So a mm. traditional public school you know, is run by the government in the sense that they get, they raise tax money, which they then spend on the schools, and then the government watches how the schools do and implements changes. Right. In the charter system, which was championed by a lot of these rich philanthropists, like Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg, and, you know, we can, we can ask the question of what makes these people experts in education, but, <laughs> but basically they, these charter schools take money out of the public system. So money that would have been earmarked for public schools now gets allocated into a charter school. Right. And then the charter school takes that money and is basically given, you know, carte blanche to run a school to its liking and run it the way they want. And, you know, 
And the idea of it is to gradually move education away from being a publicly funded thing or even a publicly managed thing to something that in theory would be more efficient and produce better results, hypothetically. Yep. Right. Yep. And then this process starts in like the early 20th century, sorry, in the early 21st century and then goes on for up until the present day. Right. Like charter schools have been, you know, booming in the sense that there are new ones open all the time. They usually generate huge amounts of positive publicity for the philanthropists involved. And, you know, as a Canadian, I had kind of heard about this a little bit, but never really explored it much on my own. I, I remember actually only hearing about it mostly as a sports fan. Like I would hear sometimes that, you know, some retired athletes like Andre Agassi or uh, Jalen Rose, you know, the basketball player for the Raptors, that they've gone and opened charter schools back in their neighborhood. And it always sounds so good. It always sounds mm-hmm. like a person's giving back. They really want, you know, to deliver education on the inner city, to, you know, to these communities that are under service. And it sounds great until you read this book and you realize, <laughs> wow, this thing is crazy. And the amount yeah. of money that's involved, the, the, and the actual quanti- when they actually quantify, are these schools good? Are they are the students better off than they used to be before these charter schools came along? It becomes a very complicated question. And in, in this book specifically, Diane Ravitch, she's very down on charter schools. Right. Right. She's down specifically on this idea that they're any better than public schools. Right. She goes even further and really very critical of both you know, the Republicans under George W. Bush and the Democrats under Barack Obama for the No Child Left Behind race to the top and all these misguided educational initiatives, which in her opinion, haven't gotten the system anywhere, right? Right. And most of that feeling seems pretty par for the course. You know, most people that we talk to these days, regardless of political affiliation, will say the American education system sucks. It isn't delivering and those of us in Canada, like you and me, can kind of look at it and say, well, we're not, we're, we're quite different. This doesn't really apply to us. But I do feel like a part of me wonders how true that even really is. Because mm. at the same time, we are always following the Americans for everything to some degree, right? And just the fact that Alberta has charter schools, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. There ha- I have heard of times in in Ontario or other parts of Canada where people have been championing, you know, taking funding out of the public system and giving it to private schools. Like that's Mm -hmm. not completely unheard of, right? I've heard of people saying, you know, we shouldn't be funding, you know, uh, Catholic schools. If we're going to fund Catholic schools, we should be using tax money to fund any school. And then that's just like a small leap to make to, you know, having charter schools in Canada. So I don't think we're that different. Although the specific details of the charter schools have not fully come to fruition here. Well, I think one of the, the main differences is, is what you mentioned about the oversight, right? So, so mm-hmm. in Canada, we, we, there is oversight, right? There is um, kind of that governmental layer that kind of says, well, how is the school doing? How are the students doing? How are the teachers doing? And all that sort of stuff. Um, so there is a little bit of that. And I guess that's one of the big arguments that uh, Diane Ravitch has where uh, it's almost unmonitored, right? There, there's all this money uh, kind of put into the system and it often lines the pockets of the people kind of leading the, the different charter schools and such. And they have a concept of, of voucher schools, which is similar to like uh, religious education where it's taken out and uh, f- sponsoring uh, or the education of specific kind of religious groups as well. Right. Mm-hmm. So similar to what you said about like the, the Catholic system here in, in Canada. Well, you're talking about oversight specifically in the private school system. In exactly. Canada, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so for people who aren't that familiar with Canadian education, in Canada, we have a public education system, which I would say the vast majority of people growing up go through. And then there's a private education system where people who have the money to send their kids to a private school do pay, you know, tuition fees for these private schools. But, but these schools are a little bit different than charter schools. There is still oversight by the government. Like the government Mm -hmm. still mandates what needs to be taught. So whether you're going to a public school or private school, the curriculum itself is fairly standardized in, in Canada. It doesn't sound like that level of regulation exists in the U S yeah, it doesn't. And, and it's interesting that uh, part of what they do in, in the, the public system, and I don't know if they actually uh, mentioned that it's also in the private the, uh, system as well, is is the level of standardized testing, right? And mm-hmm. uh, almost on a yearly basis where like a good chunk of the year is spent training the, the, the students to be able to take these tests. And I mean, my, uh, for anyone who's ever been a teacher, if you have three months of the year <laughs> taken out and you have to prep for these tests, well, how are you going to actually teach these students uh, in order to get an, a, any better, right? So Absolutely. Uh, th- that's a, another big challenge where uh, I, I'm guessing they, they still have that in, in the charter system uh, in, in the U.S. But at, at the end of the day, I mean, it's still a, a big challenge where uh, I guess there's a couple of, of challenges. One is the whole privatization argument. Is it, is it great? Uh, and then the other part is the standardized testing part of it, which I don't know if that any, has anything to do with charter systems per se, uh, but part of it is uh, in order to, to assess whether or not any system is better, then they feel that standardized testing is the way well, to uh, do that assessment. Specifically, the argument that was made by Ravage in the book is that they basically told these schools, like public schools, we're going to run standardized tests on your students every year. Mm-hmm. If you do really well on the test, you get more funding. If you do yeah. poorly on the test, you get less funding to the point that if you do really badly on the test several years in a row, your school's going to get closed. Right. So where does that happen? Of course. And where does it happen? It's in the inner city, in these mm-hmm. neighborhoods that have all the socioeconomic factors that point again, point in, in t- to, towards them not doing well on the test to begin with. Mm-hmm. And now those places, which were already, you know, disadvantaged to start with now have no schools right and in its place bill gates opens a new charter school right a school with less oversight you know who knows what they're learning and becomes in some ways in many examples a cash grab for Mm -hmm. whoever the philanthropists are and the businessmen who are like bankrolling these things and that was sort of where i understood that the standardized testing fit into the equation right it was this way of of quantifying which schools were good and which schools were bad but in a way that did not allow the nuance of understanding the context of each individual school, right? Mm-hmm. It was like sort of comparing everyone on this imaginary standard that was unrealistic and didn't take into the demographics of these communities, right. didn't take into account the demographics of these communities. Yeah, and I think part of where the book continues on is, well, well let, let's say that charter school does happen and it's supposed to be the saving grace of the community and all the students around, uh, they should have standardized tests that uh, basically increase over time. And in in um, most of the cases, they don't, is kind of what I understood the, the book to say. Um, if it was truly open to the public and anybody who was normally going to go to the public system would go into the charter system, then like basically they didn't do any better. And sometimes they did worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only ones that really did better was the ones that kind of cherry-picked 
the attendees so that certain people, usually the ones with a lower socioeconomic class and probably more challenges to, in terms of learning and all what have you, those ones were not allowed to enter the, the charter school. And of course, when you kind of uh, cherry pick and, and only allow kind of the, the top students to get in, uh, your test results are going to get better, right? So they, they kind of touted certain schools that are charter schools that were doing well. Um, but if you kind of dig in a little bit deeper, you realize, well, it's not because they're actually uh, teaching um, the, the students any better or in a better way. They were just allowing uh, less of the uh, ones that wouldn't have uh, normally gone to the system into, uh, into their schools, right? Right. Now, the standardized testing part of the book has the most, to me, the most entertaining and interesting story, which is <laughs> okay. specifically the story of Michelle Rhee, mm. a Korean-American who was like the champion of the, this whole like standardized testing and the, uh, like upgrading the school system in the Washington, D.C. area. Mm -hmm. Somehow, uh, when I read the book, I realized I had heard of this lady before, and then you told me she's in Waiting for Superman, mm -hmm. right? And so the story behind this is actually quite revealing. Basically, for several years, she was touted as this hot shot, you know, in education reform. And as she implemented these reforms in the Washington, D.C. area, their school system started to score better. You know, year mm -hmm. after year, schools were starting to score really a lot better. You can look this up on YouTube, like her speaking at these rallies and getting everyone excited about how all these reforms are working. At some point, one of the teachers in one of these schools that she was always pointing at as being like a model success story started to suspect something was wrong and noticed that, you know, on those Scantron forms where the t students fill in their answers, yep. like there were a lot more eraser marks on the scantrons than you would have normally expected out of school mm -hmm. and and at some point she caught a bunch of teachers after the standardized test had been given in a room with scantron sheets splayed out before them and and erasers and stuff so the next time the standardized test came around this teacher took all the tests and kept them under lock and key to prevent anyone else from messing with the results and lo and behold the school scored as miserable as ever and all mm -hmm. those years of supposed gains we're left to think that it was all the product of, you know, people juking the stats for the sake of their own political careers and their own, you know, their own, their own careers, period. Right. right. And it's pretty, pretty sad to think how corrupt the system is. I, I felt like I was watching The Wire again, <laughs> except it was it was I mean, I guess The Wire does talk about education. But it, but specifically, this this was just a little bit much, man. I, I this it made me so angry reading this part. Yeah, and, and for me, uh, having watched kind of that documentary, which talks about like the, the whole merits of uh, the charter system and all the great things that it, it was accomplishing, it's like, yeah, it made sense. Uh, you want the, the um, teachers to be accountable and basically be assessed for uh, all the work that they uh, do because, well, in any other um, company and corporation, that, that that's what happens, right? You, you take out the low-performing employees and replace them with, uh, high-performing ones. Now, the, the, the big challenge is uh, oftentimes teachers are not necessarily motivated in the same way as an employee would, right? A lot of teachers are in the profession because they want to be there. They, they want to help 
children. They want to educate. They want to be uh, making a difference. Um, so mm-hmm. when you reward them with things like like money and things like that, yeah, it can be a motivator, but only to a limited degree. And it kind of uh, points to the other argument of the book, where um, the other side, the what uh, Diane Ravitch called the resistance, uh, they were successful even with significantly less money than uh, all of the other kind of billionaire donors that were um, trying to privatize and, and uh, kind of push the, the system down everyone's throats, right? So, uh, yeah, it was a very uh, kind of eye-opening to me to say, hmm, yeah, I, I was probably, well, <laughs> I didn't really dig into it, the the um, story or all, all the merits of it, but on on the surface, yeah, made perfect sense to me. So I, I was duped <laughs> by, like, by everybody, like everybody else. I mean, let's chat a little bit about this privatization issue. Right. This doesn't just come up in education. This comes up all the time mm. in different industries or government run or government managed, you know, bureaus. Right. Like I remember years ago, you know, I'm, I'm like maybe 12 or 13 and I'm like having having like a snack with my uncle in like a Chinese at a Chinese tea shop or something. And he's like, listen, you know, everything needs to be privatized. Right. Mm. Like the post office. Before it was privatized, it was super inefficient, right? Now that it's privatized, it's for profit. Things run smoother, right? And mm-hmm. at some at some point, you start getting drilled with this concept that government means bureaucracy and inefficiency and waste, and privatization means efficiency, right? And mm-hmm. and that that tug of war has been going on in the United States for hundreds of years, right? Without a without a clear answer right, of what's right. And some people stand on one side of it, some people stand on the other. And it lights up in these big ticket issues like education and healthcare, right? And fundamentally, that's what this is about at some level, mm. right? Um, I also kind of thought, you know what? It kind of made sense to me that privatization could work. But as we kind of break down this, you can start to see there's all these problems with this. Because in education, you know, if all I cared about was the results and I, and I was very numbers oriented and I just wanted my students to improve, right? I would have to seek out the students who are the most ready to improve students, right? Mm-hmm. Seek out just that group and then push them to improve, right? So I'm probably taking students that are already made to order pretty strong and mm-hmm. just push them a little bit further. Whereas you could spend like five times as much energy on a student who is at the very bottom and just get some marginal improvement that achievement in of itself could be far greater than the achievement of taking an already pretty strong student, pushing them a little bit harder that way. Right. But when you try to measure things with test scores, you don't see any of these things. Right. So it becomes very difficult to measure anything. And so how do you do that in this whole privatization thing? You're, you're basically just saying we're trying to be efficient, but other than saving money, how do you even know you're getting any outcomes? It's impossible to measure. Yeah, and I think that uh, argument also goes to kind of the whole, well, the role of government and um, kind of helping things be equal and, and equitable, right? Because if you mm-hmm. think about the whole privatization piece, exactly as you said, right, the uh, folks that are kind of the A's to get to an A+, plus, right? Well, that's amazing that you can do that. But it might be the people who are D's uh, or E's that are failing and, and just get them up to a C, that could be a monumental um, uh, win for folks, but uh, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, it like, could could take five times as much from a from a dollar perspective. But what oftentimes isn't accounted for is that person who is was an E and 
might have gone to, to jail and had a very challenging life or whatever is now a C and is now a, a contributing member to society. Whereas mm-hmm. this person who is an A, who is going to do pretty well, uh, is is now an A plus and is probably going to do a little bit better, <laughs> and or not, it, or or not, maybe maybe not, maybe not even right. Uh, so it's it's part of that where a lot of privatization will focus on the ones that the haves versus the the haves nots, right? So uh, because when you privatize, then the people who can pay will be the ones that uh, get the best of whatever it is, education, could be healthcare, be it whatever it is, uh, and the right. ones that can't, who are often the ones who most need it, uh, will be the ones that, that won't. So, well, in, in this specific example of the charter schools, that does not happen because the paying is taken out of the hands of the customer, or in this case, the student, right, or the student's family. The government is now collecting the tax money from everybody and now redistributing into the hands of certain businesses that will then teach the kids. So it's not even that these people can pay. We're all paying for it in a yeah. way of thinking. Yeah, and, and fair. I mean, in this particular case, it is. But the the other side of the, that coin is that uh, a lot of these charter schools that are supposedly doing really well uh, and, and uh, actually helping the community and the students and whatever are the ones that are only letting in kind of the A's to get them to A pluses. They're not letting in the the E's to get to a C, that sort of mm. thing, right? That the failures to, to kind of get up, right? Which uh, I, I mean might be the the best way to kind of help folks because some of the suggestions that uh, Diane Ravitch uh, goes to in the end of, of how to uh, really help schools or public schools in, in general is to kind of help out the community, right? Help out those mm. folks that are most underprivileged, the, the ones that are most challenged to kind of get to. Uh, like a standard of living so they can support their 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 kids through education and what have you um, that would be a, a a better use of the dollars and cents versus creating these charter schools and building these these nice campuses and and um, basically paying out all these uh, friends of billionaires <laughs> to, well, to siphon money out of the system right well so. the the book specifically says not all charter schools are like that right sure like there are these ones that are there were some charter schools that were only online right yeah. and yeah. that have crazy amounts of enrollment but probably teach almost next to nothing this is pre-covid right yeah. these online high schools exist with very limited oversight like it's a weird thing where people businessmen basically have carte blanche to do whatever they want with the mm-hmm. educational system and i mm-hmm. i guess that gets into my next question or talking point is what is the role you think of these these wealthy philanthropists like the the walmart people the zuckerbergs the bill gates like their names are plastered all over this thing and and we were not reading a book about silicon valley no right we we're reading a book about education and these guys have come in here and and you know really left an imprint one way or the other yeah like what do you think of that yeah i mean i think a lot of these folks are uh trying to give back to the community uh whether they truly know uh kind of the, the ramifications and the outcomes of of where their dollars go to i, I think they, they might need to to take a, a second look do a better audit in terms of where their, where their money is, is is spent right because uh, well, if what Diane Ravitch, um, the, the picture that she paints is, is true, then uh, I mean, if she gave it to Mr. Gates, Mr. Zuckerberg or Mr. Walton or whatever it is, and they took a look at it and said, you know what? Yeah, my investments aren't really returning uh, my investment. Uh, well, they're all uh, philanthropic. Well, they're all uh, billionaires. <laughs> so hopefully they can take their business sense and say, you know what? Maybe we should back a different horse and, and find a different way to do it. I guess the, the other part is uh, there hasn't been 
uh, as far as I know, another um, kind of competing modality to kind of say, yeah, this is the the third way of doing it. So there's public school, there's these charter schools, and then there's other way to do it, right? So well, so maybe why do what we, to... Why do we need a third way? We already have public schools. Like, they <laughs> exist. <laughs> right. So so maybe it's the, the, the third way is this is how you support public schools uh, in order to, to allow them to do what they uh, were intended to do, right? Mm-hmm. And kind of fix all of the, the challenges that uh, manifested itself over the years and uh, kind of pushed itself uh, forward and... and were only here because the investments weren't necessarily made in the right places in, in public school. And if we take the time to kind of invest that new, um, all, all these billions or the, all these different donations in the right sp- places, maybe that would be money better spent than privatization, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so so in terms of uh, what, what they could do, yeah, I mean, just taking a, a closer look at uh, whether or not all that data is, is true and Maybe it is. I mean, they're, they're, it's their money. <laughs> they're welcome to spend it as they see fit. Uh, but if you're giving it away, you also want to make sure that there are kind of tangible outcomes out from there. So that'd be my my suggestion. But I don't know what, what you think, if, if, if there's a, a better way to, to uh, leverage their, their vast amounts of capital. Well, I mean, based on everything we know about Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg and whatnot, I mean, these guys are successful business tycoons, right? Mm-hmm. Or successful in their industry. I don't really know how that applies, you know, directly into for them to be able to understand education reform, right? <laughs> it's easy for any of us to get on a pulpit and say our education system is broken, right? You and yeah. I are trying to understand why it's broken, right? Yeah. It's easy for a rich dude who, who in a lot of cases, these guys, you know, sort of finished schooling, didn't really finish schooling, and then come out and say, this is what's wrong with education, Right. And they have billions of dollars to back up these opinions that they have. So we have mm-hmm. to take them seriously. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Like, as you keep reading it, like we're talking about Facebook, Microsoft, Walmart. These these are not businesses that have a track record of like great, you know, benefit to humanity. You know, <laughs> like I, I use the software and I shop at Walmart, but these are not like, you know, businesses that we're going to say uphold like the moral integrity that we're necessarily looking for, you know, yeah. when we educate kids and stuff. I think that tells us something about like, you know, the, the product, right? At the end of the day, these are cutthroat businessmen who mm. ultimately their main thing is their ambition as entrepreneurs to make money, right? And if you want to leave your education system in the hands of people like this, this is the kind of outcome you're going to get. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty clear that that's just how it is. Yeah, I, I mean, this is one of those things where, uh, I mean, the typical advice is to uh, kind of vote with your wallet <laughs> in the sense that <laughs> if, if you want to change things, then we'll right. stop contributing right. to any of these folks as well and back the other it, billionaires it, who might except, be doing different things. Except you have very little money in your wallet and, <laughs> Fair enough, and yeah. you can't afford the mom and pop shop <laughs> because Walmart put them out of business. So where else can you get your groceries, right? Like yeah. you and I are kind of talking from a privileged standpoint where For we sure. probably can make the choice. But there are a lot of people where, you know, they're down to saving every dollar they can. And a lot of yeah. these businesses are known for, you know, not the best hiring practices, mm-hmm. right? Not the best competitive practices when it comes to Silicon Valley and stuff. And you put them in a room where they where the government's going to hand them blank checks of money. Like, I mean, who would have thought that wouldn't turn out so well? I mean, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I'd be curious to see who on kind of the other side where they are making 
contributions to humanity and doing uh, better things and, and yet they are still wealthy and, and still philanthropic uh, what sort of uh, I guess different causes that they're supporting and, and how many if any of them are actually supporting kind of education as a, as a cause because I would be curious to see like how many of them would would go up against any of these other other giants um, well these these billionaires and what very wealthy and, and successful mm-hmm. folks right um, to see if there's anyone to say whoa whoa, whoa gentlemen whoa uh, ladies who, who are up there in your ivory towers like hey uh, your your vast um, uh, war chess of, of funds might be better directed to this area right uh, I'm, I'm wondering mm-hmm. if there's anybody that could help help that conversation happen do you feel like at this point, your opinion of public versus private education has changed, you know, as we've read a bunch of these books and we've kind of touched on the politics of this and, you know, money and its role in education. What, what's your feeling about it now? Well, I think so. So when I was uh, initially introduced to, to charter schools as kind of the, the privatization, I, I was all for it. Like it made perfect sense, right, to me, because it's like, you know what, they're doing something new, they're, they're getting all these folks and... Uh, all these students are, are now more successful, right? And then, and then teachers are more accountable. There's um, there's more testing and all that. So at a surface level, everything makes sense. But this, uh, as you dig into the data that uh, Diane Ravitch puts together and says, you know what, follow uh, follow the money, follow uh, where it goes, and you realize that the outcomes aren't there, <laughs> like the promises that they had mm-hmm. aren't there. So so what's the point if it's not doing? Uh, a- a- any any better so it's definitely um, altered my perception where uh, I-, I honestly thought you know what yeah we should we should privatize everything I was on that boat right but now it's like you know what that may be the solution but in a very different way right uh, to-, to this where it's more of the um, supporting uh, the-, the public system through different parts of like a privatized uh, privatization um, pieces where I, I think I liked uh, some of the suggestion that um, that Diane Ravitch had at, at closer to the end where she talks about um, h- how do you actually support uh, the public schools? Well, well, you you open up like health clinics to serve the communities around, right? Um, help with like um, medical care and, cents- and uh, centers for um, like folks that, uh, single parents, that sort of thing, or uh, sc- after school programs where you can get like um, more exercise, play, and stay out of trouble so you're not in jail, that sort of thing. And, and, mm-hmm. and drugs and gangs aren't the only um, option, right? Or, or even like um, lunch programs for, so that uh, kids could get fed, right? Or, or supporting the arts and, and jazz bands, again, so, so that uh, they have stuff to do where uh, like uh, gangs and violence and other stuff are, are not uh, the, the only outcome. So uh, that privatization, I don't know if you'd call it that, or, or some some support in, in that realm, I think would be great if you could have um, like these after school programs or in school programs or whatever it is to uh, support the, the, the community around the public schools. I think that would be a great way to uh, kind of uh, move things. So, so it's definitely changed my, my viewpoint where it wouldn't be privatizing the actual system itself. It would be more um, finding ways for private enterprise to support um, kind of the, the public system and, and different areas uh, around it. Uh, I don't know. How, how's, how's your view changed? I mean, I was always, I mean, I guess I'm Canadian, so, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I'm a physician, so I'm kind of, you know, the the mirror of this argument is the whole healthcare argument, right? Mm-hmm. So 
I'm a, I'm a fairly big proponent in socialism and <laughs> that the government should be providing adequate education and roads mm. and healthcare to its citizens. You know, that's the fundamental place that I come from. Now, whether a person is entitled to a better education because they can afford to pay for it or even better healthcare because they're, they can afford to pay for it is like a, it's like a moral quandary that's not easily answered. Right. But specifically this issue, which is saying, should we earmark public funds and give it to private companies to spend? I'm not a big fan of this. Agreed. You know, to begin with, and and especially given that, okay, once we let them have those funds, we're not going to oversee them and, and be able to measure well what they're doing with it. I feel like if you really have a ton of money and, you know, you can afford to send your children to Harvard University, then go for it. You know, that's good. Good for you. You know, that's the American dream. I actually don't have a problem with that part of it, but I don't really feel like we need to take tax money out of like every, you know, everyone's pocket to fund people to go to a school, like a charter school that may or may not be better. You know, that doesn't seem to make sense. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Um, Especially the second part where like, if you gave it to private enterprise and there's no oversight, uh, and then the other part is if you put oversight, well, does it basically become part of the public system? <laughs> so is there a mm-hmm. hybrid midway in, in, in that you, you do allow uh, public uh, private enterprise to kind of have something? Because I think that was the original intent for the charter school where uh, you would take some of the public money and you would allow kind of these pilot laboratory uh, type environments and programs where uh, you take like one class or, or part of a class in, in, a, in a school and, and do these innovative things and really test to see if it works. And if it works, then, then you do it again. If it doesn't work, well, how what worked and what didn't, and you kind of tweak and, and, and grow. And, and then, then it actually evolves the school system in a practical sense uh, versus just kind of um, like doing what worked year over year for the past 150 years <laughs> and, and not necessarily changing. Doesn't it seem weird that in 2021... Like, you know, we sent a man to the moon 50 years ago or something, right? Mm -hmm. And we have the ability to destroy the planet with a nuclear bomb, you know, (laughs) if we want to. That we cannot, as a society, come to a consensus on what makes a good education system. Like, shouldn't we have figured this out by now? Like, ultimately, to me, that's one of the most shocking aspects of this. That, you know, people have been getting educated for hundreds of years. And in 2021, in one of the most advanced countries in the world... We have no idea how to do it properly. We can't even right. agree on what, how to measure it. We can't agree on, you know, what kind of curriculum they need. We can't agree on anything. Yeah. Except I mean, that I the th- system's broken. Right, right. And, and I think it goes back to some of the arguments from our previous books and, and the discussions. Like, well, what, was, yeah. what is the intention of the, the school and education system, right? On one side, it's folks where, like, yeah, it's to basically reach your potential and do anything and everything that you are allowed to do um, so that you can kind of be the best version of yourself. And it seems like that the current system is more on the other side where it's like, nope, we just want to train a whole bunch of automatons that'll be part of the mass marketplace and uh, basically buy a whole bunch of stuff that we decide to, as, as kind of rulers of the, 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 the system to, to do that, right? So on, on that side, it's working very well. Well, <laughs> yeah. if that was the, the only side. intention, that would be fine. But this book yeah. seems to be implying that the school system as it's set up now is even past that. It's even saying, you know what, if you're coming from an underprivileged neighborhood or you're coming from a demographic that is, has historically suffered like African-Americans, then you're going to suffer 
more, right? Because we're mm. just going to design the system to disregard you and keep you, you know, where you belong, right? There's mm -hmm. this undercurrent of like racism to, to most sure. of this stuff and, or at the very least, you know, inequality, you know, based on wealth, if not race. Yeah. And yeah. that seems to be a fundamental thing that's happening here that we can't even agree on that. Like we're designing a system that is purposely ostracizing people mm. in exchange for these bureaucrats or, or philanthropists getting richer and richer, you know, yeah. at their expense. Yeah, I think it's definitely the argument against the wealth stuff of which uh, I guess race has, has a big um, factor in there or at least partial factor in there. Not I don't know how big it is, but uh, definitely a factor in there. And it's, again, going back to the privatization argument that the rich getting richer and all that sort of stuff, right? So uh, can we actually get everyone uh, on the same playing field for this public system and get them access, equal access to, to all of that? Um, I don't know. That, that That's a very good question. And I guess we'll continue down that uh, investigative road <laughs> to figure out like how exactly this this has happened and uh, how, how we can potentially improve it but i i do think that we've uh, at least understood how the privatization effort is not necessarily that the the, the um, silver bullet that will save it and it's mm -hmm. definitely not uh, standardized testing um a, a, as part of it a, as well um of which there, there could still be components of that uh within uh, whatever uh, ideal education system that, that we uh, are able to uh, think of or, or um, and and yeah I, I think there's a, a whole bunch more discussion that needs to happen and uh, eventually someone's going to figure it out uh, so uh, I think we're still in our infancy yeah maybe we prioritize the moon <laughs> before education system so mm. hopefully someone um, with with better intentions will 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 turn their their wallets towards uh, public school or, or just equal uh, equality in education, I think, would be a, a very good thing for, for all of us. <laughs> so, I mean, it sounds like we're nearing the end of our discussion. I don't think we need to spend super long on this book. It was, mm -hmm. it's a very difficult book to read. But did you have any takeaway points that you wanted to, like, end with? Uh, for folks that are listening, I'd encourage you to, to just get more, uh, a better understanding of your education system and uh, how it could or uh, does affect you and your, your community and uh, see if there's anything that uh, you want to do about it, right? Uh, wh whether it be uh, voting with your wallet, voting at the ballot box, or, or uh, w kind of supporting your local um, organizations in whatever way that you, you want to. But uh, yeah, that'd be my, my takeaways. How about yours, Dave? My main thing was thinking about this book in the context, in the context of our project, which is to try hmm. to understand what's wrong with education. Like we've had some pretty different books so far, right? Mm -hmm. We read, we read John Taylor Gatto, who basically said, kids don't need school. School's a waste <laughs> of time. The way it's designed doesn't help anyone. Sure. Right. And, and that's been the theme of, of all these books, right? We read, we read Limitless Mind by Joe Bowler, who kind of said the way math is taught is wrong and there's a better way to teach it. And that, mm. that probably was the most positive and optimistic one we read, right? Which was kind of saying, okay, there's a better way. I'm going to show you how to encourage kids to do it, right? This one kind of took us back. And as I started reading, I was like, well, it really doesn't fit with what the other books because it's really talking about these specific historical points and these political issues, which I was, I read like a third of the book. I was like, I'm, I don't really see where this fits into our thing. And then at some point the light bulb went off and I understood, I was like, you know what? Now I understand standardized testing. Now I understand charter schools. Now I understand the role of money 
and how it's affecting the education system. And it hasn't come to Canada in this exact way, but I could kind of see that if it did someday, which isn't super far-fetched, that mm. these kind of things could happen. So I did find that though this book was difficult to read, it did help my overall understanding of this question of what's wrong with education. And it starts to really make me understand that this question is much bigger than, you know, it's not a question with an easy answer, which is right. why we have all these books to read about it and right. to try to figure it out. Now, I have a quote for you from the book that I think serves as a good segue since you mentioned alternatives. Hmm. All right. So this is the quote. This comes from, actually, I don't know which page this is on. So this comes from, this comes from Ravitch's book. The students have heart. They have creativity. They have wit. They are innovative. They are alive with spirit. They have the qualities that made America great. None of our founding fathers have ever passed the standardized test. Those students know this great secret. We are not Singapore. We are not South Korea. We are not China. We are America. We should cultivate the wit of Ben Franklin, the thoughtfulness of Abraham Lincoln, the ingenuity of Thomas Alva Edison, the spirit of the Wright brothers, the eloquence of Dr. Martin Luther King. Were they good test takers? Who knows? Who cares? I mean, I think the next book we read has to be about what education is like in Asia. I'm very mm. interested in this question. So that is what we're going to do because I feel like we've talked about America and I think at some point we're going to talk, we're going to read about Canada, but I think we need to talk about the elephant in the room, which is China, maybe Singapore, yeah. these countries that have very rigorous school systems. And the, what are the pros of that? What are the cons of that? And, and actually throw something to contrast the North American system that we're the most familiar with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. I have a quote for us to end with. Let me find it. Privatization fails for many reasons. First, the schools that are publicly funded but privately managed are subject to extraordinary levels of waste, fraud, abuse, and corruption. Not every charter school is corrupt, but the absence of public oversight assures that many are. Public money should be accompanied by public oversight. Second, privatization and school choice promote segregation of every kind by race, income, social class, and religion. Public schools should dis diminish segregation to the greatest extent possible. Public schools should teach young people to live with others who are unlike them. Third, privatization harms the public schools by taking away funding that rightfully belongs to public schools, not to their privately managed competitors. When charter schools open, they draw upon the same funding as the public schools, which means the public schools must fire teachers in large class sizes, cut programs, and eliminate necessary services. Public schools in most states are already underfunded. Adding charter schools and vouchers makes the situation worse for the public schools that enroll most students. This makes no sense at all. <laughs>